Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Today, the Wall Street Journal lists the uh, 100 uh, top women advisors in terms of financial advisors. And one is from the St. Louis area. She is Diane Compardo with the Moneta Group in Clayton. Last year, she ranked 65. This year, she's up to 62. That's the ranking in the top 100. Um, She serves high net worth clients and ultra high net worth clients. The total assets for Moneta are a billion dollars. And her typical account size is $12 million. The typical net worth of a client is $17 million. Whoa. Anyway, that's what's going on with Diane Compardo. Congratulations to her. I think she's the only one from our area to make that list this year. Charlie Brennan on The Voice of St. Louis. Don't forget, if it's on your mind, you can get off your chest with the wine line, 444-3000. Sponsored by our friends at Just Wooden Fences. Charlie, have you lost your dang mind? You're going to talk about this illegal immigrant that delivered pizza. So a foreign entity enters our country illegally and then tries to go on our military base. And you don't see a problem with that? Nope, no security threat, not a problem. What's next? You going to start burning the American flag, you unpatriotic fool? You know, the, the guy, the pizza delivery man, was from Ecuador. What's the chance, really, that someone from Ecuador is attacking our army bases? When you think about it, is it, is it more likely he's just trying to make a living delivering pizzas? Hey, Brian Kelly's with us with his update. Brian? Just got a call from Frontenac Police. They have found Hayden Clark, and he is okay. They have also found the van. They have not found Teresa Bronner yet. They don't know. Uh, at this point, there's no word on her whereabouts. But the missing Frontenac man who uh, is is in a wheelchair... Confined to a wheelchair, Hayden Clark has been found, and he is okay. And we'll get more details later, I'm He was found in the city, by the way, Found in the city? In the city. But they didn't say where exactly. They just got the call. They're just going to investigate. Very interesting. Okay, thanks a lot, Brian, for that update. Back to the wine line, already in progress. Surely your whole idea of going to the movie by yourself is, uh, I guess it's good enough. I'm I'm sure uh, Paul Rubens is on board with you. Well, I hadn't heard of Paul Rubens in a long time. He had a fine career until he was uh, uh, arrested in a movie theater. Hiding musicians under the stage is for tiny theaters that have no room. Never Muni. Never Muni. Is that like code to the resistance? Is that like the signal to attack or something? What's he talking about? Hiding musicians under the stage is for tiny theaters that have no room. Never Muni. Never Muni. I'm afraid I don't understand that one. I can, I can only think of one song that applies. All right, back to the wine line already in progress. Be advised. Be advised. <laughs> 
communist Charlie Lennon is on the air. Charlie, I hear all these whining about our allies, trading partners, or treating them unfairly. Full or friend, they've been dumping product in this country unfairly for decades. Trump says it's over with. So get to the bargaining table or we can ruin your economy. Make a deal. The days of dumping product in this country are over. Well, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Um, by the way, in a moment, we're going to talk about whether or not we should erect a statue for Missouri State Troopers. Our two guests believe that is the case. They'll explain why, and I think they're raising money for that. I know what that's like. We'll get into those details just around the corner. Yeah, I can't believe you're encouraging breaking the law. Cam Wax ought to fire you for encouraging breaking the law. I'm not encouraging anyone to break the law. I bought my tags, my tags for my license plate and i haven't affixed them to the car yet i just want to see how long it is before i'm pulled over because i see a lot of cars with expired plates or no plates and expired tags or no tags so i bought the i bought the tags i just haven't affixed them yet hey charlie hold on hold on a second i'm in the chick-fil-a drive through oh does that smell good oh wait, wait i forgot oh, sorry i forgot why i called to each his own. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Charlie, I think you should put your stickers on your plates. You don't want to be the bad example that pushes the next guy to do the same. Same as your broken windows theory. I understand that. This is a test. It's a test. I'm driving around right now. My plates expired in... Um, May, May 31st, and I haven't put the tags up. I just want to see if I'm ever pulled over. I'm not sure I'm going to go to Illinois, though, because I do think they pull people over in Illinois. All right, that would be the wine line, and you can call that 24-7-444-3000. That's another service of the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. We're moving on now to Alice Bava, who is with us in the studio. Do I have that correct, Alice? Yes, that's correct. Thanks so much for joining us. Also, Roger Whitler is with us. Roger, how are you doing? Doing great, thank you. And you guys are heading up uh, the cause to erect a statue, I believe, honoring Missouri State Troopers. Uh, that's right. Um, I've been uh, brought in as a support. Um, this is something that's near and dear to my heart. Our son was the 31st member of the Highway Patrol to be killed in the line of duty. So this is something that's very dear to our heart. Yeah, your son was James Bava. Yes, that's correct. How, how many years has it been now? It will be three years in oh. August. Oh, my gosh. Our, our thoughts are with you. I, I don't know. So what you're you're doing, you're saying, hey, why don't we honor Missouri State Troopers with a monument? Yes, absolutely. You know, when I see the uniform, when I see the patrol uniform, I see my son. And there's a shared heart there. And, of course, my son has um, become known because he died in the line of duty. But there are so many troopers. There are over 1,200 troopers out on the road that serve day and night, and they don't necessarily get the honor and the recognition, and and that's what this monument is. Um, I don't think they get no honor or recognition that I know uh, of. Exactly. Yeah. Roger, where would you like this monument to be placed? Uh, once, once constructed, the monument would be placed at the general headquarters in Jefferson City, and it will uh, stand as a lasting symbol to inspire others to serve. How much money do we need to raise? The overall project estimate is between 700000 and $1 million. It's going to be a nice monument. 
Right. Is it a statue or is it uh, something else? It'll be a spiral uh, bronze monument. It will uh, contain a male trooper, female trooper, uh, and and a other and a, and another trooper along with a canine. Do you have a uh, sculptor that you've selected? Yes, the sculpture is Barbara Munganask, and her website is bjmunganask.com. Okay, so Barbara Munganask will be doing the work. You need to raise almost a million dollars. That, that'd be handy. How are we going about raising it? Well, there are several ways. Um, there's been a benefit dinner, uh, the first of nine uh, benefit dinners. All of the nine troops across Missouri will be holding dinners. The first one is this uh, Saturday, June 16th, and it is being held at the Fabic Caterpillar location. That's number one, Fabic Drive in Fenton, Missouri. They're hosting uh, the, the fundraising benefit dinner. Um, that's one way. There's also a, a, an opportunity to donate. Um, anyone who's interested in donating could go to MissouriTroopFund.org. And there is a way there to donate. Another way that the committee has uh, come up with uh, as a fundraiser is to purchase a paver. Um, the monument is being designed to include over 1,200 pavers. There's an 8 by 8 corporate paver that is available. There will be approximately 250 of those available pavers at $1,000 each. And there's also an individual paver. It's an 8 by 4 paver that's going to be available for $500. And there's approximately 1,000 of those that are going to be available. So again, anyone who is interested in those could go to MissouriTrooperFund.org and get more information. Yeah, that's MissouriTrooperFund.org. Get information on the nine dinners, the paver program, or I'm sure you could just make a donation and uh, all donations would be accepted. Absolutely, yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, keep us abreast of the developments here. When do we hope to have the monument uh, built and established? Well, similar projects of this nature have taken... Uh, 10 years to uh, complete, we hope that we can have this complete by at least uh, 2031, which would be the 100th year anniversary of the Missouri State Highway Patrol's creation uh, that was in 1931. Did you say 2031? Oh, I think you'll raise the money way before then, don't you? We hope so. Thank you. Yeah, really. I mean, that's, that'd be a long project, uh, but if you're willing to do it, Roger and Alice, that's up to you. So thank you so much for joining us. Keep us abreast of all the developments, and thanks. I know it's a lot of hard work, and you've got other things to do, so appreciate that. Oh, thank you, Charlie, for helping us get the message out. You got it. You got it. All right. Thank you. Thank you Alice, Baba, Roger Whitler with us today, joining us talking about that. It's MissouriTrooperFund.org. Okay, everybody. Going to take a break here, and then we're going to switch topics and take a look at opioids. And we're going to have a distinguished guest joining us this morning and discussing what you can do, not only to prevent ever getting hooked, but if someone in your house is hooked, what do you do then? Huge questions. When news breaks out, KMOX breaks in. St. Louis's news, traffic, and weather. Depend on it. Charlie Brennan, the voice of St. Louis, thanks for joining us. We are really fortunate in this segment to have with us an expert on opioid dependence and how to get off of it. He happens to be the chief medical officer for the New York State Office of Mental Health. 
which is the nation's largest state mental health agency. He's Lloyd Setterer, MD, who has also written the book The Addiction Solution, Treating Our Dependence on Opioids and Other Drugs. And Dr. Setterer, before we begin, I just want to say thank you because this book A, is timely, huge crisis in the nation today, but also the book is so approachable. It's very understandable, and I thought it would be, uh, you know, full of medical jargon and medical ease. It is not. I think it's it's written for a nation that needs it. It's meant to for families facing addiction, for individuals facing addiction, as well as for clinicians to show there is a successful way of helping people with addiction. And it's great to be with you. How bad is the problem right now, doctor? Well, the problem is getting better and worse at the same time. What we know is that there have been reductions many years now in a row in the prescription of uh, uh, um, opioid uh, pain pills like Oxycontin, Vicodin, Percodan, uh, but, uh, and, and that doctors are becoming more careful, more circumspect about prescribing these medications when they're not needed. However, more people, unfortunately, when they're uh, no longer getting these pills, they're turning to street drugs, they're turning particularly to heroin. So we're seeing a reduction in the prescription of opioid pain pills and a reduction in their overdose, but we're seeing an increase in overdose from heroin. So the overdose death rate in this country sadly continues to increase. Yeah, I think that uh, just about sums it up really well. And even though many other issues are discussed uh, on radio and seen on television and newspapers, I think this is the nation's biggest crisis if you just look at the numbers. What do you think? Oh, I think indeed this is a spread. I mean, the addiction to uh, heroin and opioids has been longstanding, dating way, well back to the after the Civil War when morphine was used to help soldiers with post-war wounds. But uh, it was largely in the last century uh, an inner city people of color problem. Now it's everywhere. It's in middle America. It's in white America. And uh, it seems to be connected not just with pain problems, but with uh, social despair that seems to have uh, darkened too many communities in this country because of their loss of jobs. There are a few prospects for the future. And there's a breakdown of uh, family and connectedness. We have a convergence of a lot of problems that are yeah. being solved with opioids. We lose about 120 people a day to uh, overdoses, don't we? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's just off the charts. What, five an hour, something like that. So, okay, Let first of all, we had a professor from WashU on about a year ago. He said, number one, we need more clinics in the country. True or false in your view? Oh, yes. And what kind of clinics? Should, they, should people gather around in group therapy, kind of like uh, AA or what? Well, the best treatment for somebody with an addiction to opioid pills uh, or heroin is a combination. It is a combination of a 12-step recovery programs and medications, medications specifically for these, uh, uh, this problem, medications that fill the same receptor and reduce craving or block that same receptor, and therapy, counseling, particularly counseling that's aimed uh, to help people not respond to the triggers that get them to relapse. You, you need to put all of these together. It's a 
tough and complex disease and uh, relying only on one intervention doesn't give a person a good enough chance. Yeah, and you list a bunch of different interventions. It could be cognitive therapy, which we've known about for a long time, and there are some alternative newer ones, aren't there, doctor? Yes, well, we all can better take care of ourselves through exercise, diet, a variety of what are called mind-body interventions, meditation, yoga, slow breathing. These are essential for any state of human distress or any disease, diabetes, depression, addiction. Uh, And there's even promising research on a psychedelic drug, of all things, uh, psilocybin, magic mushrooms. Uh, Would you repeat that once again? Yes. So uh, um, there's a a legal drug in the Southwest that uh, is a cactus, uh, is a mushroom that grows off of a cactus called psilocybin. It's known as magic mushrooms. And uh, I'm not suggesting that your listeners go out and get it, but I am suggesting it is a promising treatment, one-time treatment. We don't have any one-time intervention for addiction. And it's been used with 500 people facing uh, their death, they have terminal illness and in great distress, and one trip, four to six hours, has seems to turn their essence around in a certain way, so they're reconciled to their death, they feel part of a more universal, connected world, and it seems to have application, it may be helpful for people with addiction, tobacco, opioids, and maybe some severe forms of depression. Any negative side effects? On the 500 people who have received it, not one. It has to be done under very careful uh, controlled conditions with a guide and using uh, pure, uh, they use synthetic uh, um, psilocybin so there's no contaminants. It's very carefully done and they've not had one bad reaction. Let me ask you about suggesting that people live with a little pain before reaching for the OxyContin. What a great point. Uh, have we, I think you're, it's a question you're asking, have we become a society intolerant to the grind and everyday pains of life? And uh, consequently, we think that we can live a life of free of pain. Uh, that, uh, that's not the case. And pain is transient. Sometimes pain is severe. It needs to be treated. But, well, there's a lot of hurt, emotional hurt, physical hurt that we endure. And sometimes we think uh, we should have a life free of it. It's a nice thing to think about. But um, the the risk is using drugs uh, that are going to cause addiction. And you mentioned exercise earlier, but in some ways exercise actually reduces body pain, doesn't it? Absolutely, and improve stamina and concentration. It's been said that if any one thing could be uh, compounded into a pill to make the best difference in all of our lives, it would be exercise. Well, last year my son had his four wisdom teeth taken out. Fine, it's kind of a rite of passage, I suppose, for some. And he got a week's supply of OxyContin, four pills a day times seven, 28. Do you think that's kind of a... um, I, I thought that was too many. I know I, you, you can't uh, judge from afar. Well, maybe you can. What do you think about 28 pills for four wisdom teeth taken out? I wonder whether he should have received any at all. Uh, maybe uh, cold presses and Tylenol would be sufficient. Well, that is what a friend of mine in New England has told me is the deep, dark secret of the pharmaceutical industry, and that is that uh, for Advil, 
800 milligram is just as effective as OxyContin, but they don't want you to know that. It can be very effective. I mean, if, if your son had broken his arm and had an open fracture and had to have it set, probably two or three days of uh, uh, opioid uh, OxyContin might be necessary, uh, and particularly if he needed to move around or had uh, the injury broke, uh, broke his leg. Uh, so they have their application for acute severe pain. With chronic pain, more and more we've discovered they're not as good an answer as promised. Uh, would you mind taking a few phone calls or must you go? No, I'm, I'm right here. Lloyd Setterer is with us today, folks. Dr. Setterer has written The Addiction Solution, treat, uh, treating our dependence on opioids and other drugs. It, it's the topic for 2018. So what do you do? Well, he's an adjunct professor at Columbia University's School of Public Health. You've seen his articles in all the nation's top publications, but currently he's the chief medical officer for the New York State Office of Mental Health, which happens to be the United States' largest state mental health agency. 314-436-7900. If you are dealing with something like this, or you did, you can't talk to somebody with better credentials than our guest today. Get ready for the Cards and Padres tonight. Amron Total Access 620. First pitch 715. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Thanks for joining us. Lloyd Setterer is with us today. Dr. Setterer has written a brand new book on addiction. And uh, it's available in all the bookstores. He's also the chief mental health officer for the state of New York. He is the chief medical officer, precisely, of the New York State Office of Mental Health. Um, uh, the book is, by the way, the, called The Addiction Solution. And I think you were in town about a month ago uh, discussing this book, correct? I was. I was, the, I was at the St. Louis Public Library, and also I was at Washington University Medical Center. It was a great visit. I was very honored to be there. Oh, e- excellent. Good, good to have you in town. And I think because of breaking news or something, we had to delay our conversation with you. So that's why you're with us today, in case people want to know. But a number of states are legalizing marijuana. Is it possible that marijuana can help with pain and would be one way of reducing our addiction to opioids or other drugs? My view about uh, recreational marijuana or marijuana in any state is that it should be decriminalized, that nobody should be put in jail or prison for possession, um, and even for low-level uh, dealing, because that's somebody who has an addiction who is use, who's selling to cover their habit. The, uh, the availability of recreational marijuana, the effects that that will have on youth and on adults, remains to be understood. States even that have began doing that five or six years ago, like Colorado, Washington, Oregon, they still have not figured out how to do this. And we don't have enough decent research to say what blends of marijuana, because marijuana is, there can be a hundred different preparations. What, what works for what conditions, in what persons, for how long, with what safety. These are all critical questions which we can't get to because federally uh, cannabis is a Schedule One drug which interferes with our studying it. So I think we need to be careful about just saying, you know, let's dive off the cliff here because there's much to be known. Well, that's exactly what the uh, governor of Colorado has actually said. Uh, Governor Hickenlooper has said, you know, we're, we're kind of a test case. We're... We're, we're studying it here, but they're kind of like 
studying it in an uncontrolled fashion. And uh, one psychologist at the uh, University of Denver has said she has noticed, based on her research, a spike in uh, suicides that coincide with the onset of uh, legalized marijuana in that state. Do you think that uh, that would be corroborated by another study? That's very hard to uh, uh, to correlate, to connect, because the rate of suicide, especially where someone dies, is very low. Uh, so changes uh, have to be very mm. substantial and over a period of time. We do know nationally uh, from uh, CDC data released this week that suicides continue to rise nationally and, yeah. and in uh, every state. So it seems that there's something going on there, but probably independent of uh, marijuana, of cannabis. I I know it's a little bit off topic, but what do you think contributes to the increase in suicides in this country? Not one thing alone. Uh, uh, Most people who uh, take their lives are suffering from an acute, severe mental illness, particularly depression which is undetected and untreated. And that's one of the biggest public health challenges in terms of reducing suicide. We have to better detect these problems and help people get treatment. Well, there are others who believe that uh, as our society has become more fragmented, more disconnected, loneliness is a factor in terms of people feeling as if there's no one to turn to. There's no... uh, they have no life, they have no supports, and that's really bad uh, in terms of uh, feeling like you want to die and having no one to turn to. Uh, and there's this, you know, the use of, uh, great use of medications, drugs that can affect mood, alcohol in particular, which is disinhibiting. We have a lot of things going on here mm-hmm. that uh, probably are contributing to higher rates of suicide. Getting back to opioids for a moment, you touched upon this, Dr. Sutterer, that some of the opioid use is going down while heroin was going up. And I've seen just kind of like the headlines out of the New England papers that it looks like opioid abuse and addiction is down in places like Massachusetts and New Hampshire. But are we finding that heroin use is up while the opioid addiction is down in those states? Exactly. But it's opioid pain pills. Opioids is a uh, umbrella term four substances that affect the same receptor in the brain. So opioids includes uh, Oxycontin, Vicodin, morphine, heroin, uh, some are legal prescription drugs. Those are down. Uh, But the use of illegal street drugs like heroin, that's up. And, and, uh, wow, just when we thought, I I know that you say that we've been uh, experiencing heroin addiction for a long time in this country, but I, I did believe there was a period maybe in the 1990s or the early part of this century then it was it was in the rearview mirror it was in the rearview mirror because we often don't uh, look at uh, the most uh, vulnerable people in this country those who are the poorest those who are living in inner cities violent communities there the opioid the, the heroin uh, epidemic has been continuous if you could leave our listeners with uh, one important thought Uh, Based on your research, uh, contained in the book, The Addiction Solution, Treating Our Dependence on Opioids and Other Drugs, what would that be? It would be that if you know somebody, a loved one, a friend who uh, has this problem, reach out to them 
encourage them to get help and to get good help uh, because this is a treatable condition. It's a hard condition, but it is a treatable condition. They have reason to hope. They have reason to believe that they can get into recovery and get their lives back. Lloyd Setterer, author of The Addiction Solution, thanks for joining us on KMOX in St. Louis. Great to be joining you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Setterer, on the Quiver River Electric guest line. We're glad about that. Well, we're going to have a full follow-up on our Taboo Tuesday in just a moment. And uh, we'll be bringing to the uh, airwaves uh, the distinguished voice of one of our uh, great uh, local St. Louisans to opine on this matter. If you were with us last hour, you know you definitely want to miss this segment. Definitely. Seriously, uh, don't touch that dial under any circumstances. Now, back to the Charlie Brennan Show, sponsored by Doctors Birdie, Mahatra, Brusati, and Royer of Ophthalmology Associates. Hey, don't forget you can listen to KMWX anytime, anywhere. Download the Radio.com app and favorite us today. I've done this myself. It is so easy. So I was reading a... Great thoughts in American history. One of the great quotes in America is, I'm wearing shorts today because it's 90 degrees outside. I forgot how much urine gets on your legs while peeing in the urinal or even on the ground because of the splash effect. Ladies and gentlemen, that tweet got 798 likes, 42 retweets, and 129 responses. That's what we call going viral. Kenny Wallace, you captured the hearts and minds of a nation. Charlie, I love you to death. You're one of my favorite people. And I I just got to say this. It's the simple things in life. Uh, So I'm in Arnold, Missouri yesterday. And uh, I'm eating lunch at McAllister's Deli. And I go to the bathroom. I simply go to the urinal. Now, you know, I consider myself one of those pale white People, I don't like to wear shorts because people make fun of my my pale white legs. Sure, I'm a strong, right? So, so you know, I'm not used to wearing shorts. But you know, the older I get, I'm like, my God, it's almost a hundred degrees. So, I don't I don't have uh, experience at getting away from the splash effect. So I got done in the urinal and I, I went back and I'm just crazy and I'm just off centered enough that I'm like I'm thinking, gosh, am I the only one that has this this problem? And I assume all the professionals out there, all you men, you must know how to position yourself. And I'm like, I had to, I'm like, you know, I'm getting this urine all over my leg. And so I, I took a towel and I, I kind of wiped my legs off, you know, with the, and uh, I thought it was just a silly tweet. And as you brought up, it, it went crazy. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think uh, the president got this many likes because of the uh, <laughs> Singapore summit. It uh, it's the simple things in life, you know. Here here we are. Uh, a lot of my friends go, man, it's really hot. I'm like, hey, man, it, it, it just fired up. This is St. Louis. I mean, we we take our we take our name of our state, Missouri, and now it's misery. And that's why Charlie. That's why I enjoy those seven fifteen, seven thirty, you know, times at Bush Stadium when when the sun's going down. And you finally can breathe when you grab a, a cold bud light. Uh, that's my favorite thing about St. Louis. When we make it through these these hot days here, and uh, 
I tend, I, I tend to my my mind tend to wander off. Oh yeah, well, one of those tweets. Truer words were never spoken, and I think someone right now is chiseling those words into some granite monument. But what I uh, think is a corollary topic is the small puddles that seem to be forming uh, at the base of urinals in restrooms across our fruited plain. Now you're in a lot of airports because you travel for a living. You're uh, Fox Sports and all that. Do you think that's on the increase that the like the uh, the spray accumulation around urinals is on the increase in this country? You know what's funny about all this? I don't. I know we're having fun today. The show is great. You know, sometimes in life we think things right, and we're like, "No, I'm not going to repeat that because that's crazy." Do you know how many urinals all of us men have looked at, and and, and we see the name of the local companies? Uh, I, I think in every urinal in the city of St. Louis, uh, I forgot the name of the people, uh, I, but but they literally bought my uncle Gary out. So on on Janitor, uh, on Manchester Road, we used to own my uncle Gary used to own OK Vacuum and Janitorial Supplies, and and we sold those little soap things that went in the urinals. I'll be darned. Yeah, so now when I'm at Bush Stadium or, or wherever I'm at, wherever they have those, I look down and uh, Industrial Soap, I think that's the name of the company now. It, 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 those people bought my Uncle Gary out. and uh, I'll be darned. Isn't, isn't it crazy the way we think? But yes, yes, every time I look, I think of that. Well, I think of uh, the, who, who's Royal makes a lot of those, right? Royal, yes. we see that name. Whoever yes. runs Royal has a <laughs> lot of money. Or, or when you're okay, and and you gotta be a man, baby. So for all you ladies out there, uh, what happens is you go to Bush Stadium, and you're at the urinal, and there's a sign, and uh, you know it's obviously an advertisement, and it's funny, but you know, yeah, bathrooms are are quite an experience to all of us, and and Bush Stadium, uh, it's it's one of the funny, basically. Yeah. I can't repeat what it says, but it's a real advertisement at, at every urinal in the man, men's bathroom. It's about what's in your hand, and it's a joke, and it's funny. Well, you know, this is a whole different universe that uh, women are not a part of unless they are, you know, somehow working in the restrooms or whatever. That's probably not too likely. But uh, women probably don't know that some establishments have the sports page above the urinal for your reading pleasure. And others, for some reason, you, I don't see this too much anymore, you'd find ice. Maybe that's a fancier restaurant or something that would put ice in the urinal. And I, The bars. Yeah, the bars, yeah. Well, what exactly is the role of the ice in the urinal? Do we know? <laughs> it means your bar is broke on their ass and they can't afford those little little things at the bottom. So like, they're like, hey, go dump some ice in there. I have no idea what – they must be professionals and know what it does. But, you know, on, on another note, uh, my wife, you know, Kimberly, Kimberly Wallace. The, 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 the sainted Kimberly Wallace. Yeah, she puts up with my crazy ass. Well, we, we met in high school, 1980, Fox Senior High out here in Arnold. And every once in a while, Kim, early in our careers, you know, in our lives, she would say, what goes on in those, those men's bathrooms? And I'm like, well, nothing, honey. You know, but I can tell you this, when I've accidentally walked into a women's woman's bathroom, my heart beats a couple skips. Have you ever, ever accidentally went into a lady's uh, a bathroom and you, it's like, no, you're not supposed to be in here. This is taboo. Yes, I know? have. I, and and yeah. I recently saw a woman walk into the men's restroom and she was mortified and ran out. 
Yeah, and the, and the thing about it is, when you're in there, when you accidentally go into the wrong sex bathroom, it's it's bad enough. But when you turn around to come back out, you're just praying that nobody sees you, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> they're going to make fun of you. Yeah. Oh my! All right, what Kenny day, Kenny Bob. Wallace. Kenny Wallace, our guest today. Thank you very much for sharing uh, deep thoughts today on uh, Taboo Tuesday when we discuss topics that aren't ordinarily discussed in polite conversation. This could be a regular segment just based on Kenny Wallace's tweets. Hey, it's so good to talk to you. Thanks a lot for joining us again on KMOX. I love you, Charlie. Have a great day. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Second hour of the Garden Hotline, and thank you, Mr. Kelly, for passing the baton on to me. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 to get in line with your questions, comments, or concerns. And thanks for having me on your show. You can give that call, and we can talk about plant selection, the ups and downs all around related to the annuals, to your bulbs, to your edibles, your ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, your perennials, roses, shrubs, trees, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, or opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Greg is still producing, so in other words, he didn't throw his hands up and run out the door and say, I can't take this anymore. So uh, he will be the one who answers your call. And it puts you on the computer screen. So during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call I walk and talk. I come to your home and address the problems that you have made you know, notes about or whatever. And then consequently, uh, I also keep my eyes open for things that may be um, impacting your landscape that you didn't consider or for whatever reason. And what you can do is go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage will have my email address and phone number listed. So I'll share my 40-plus years of experience related to your home's landscape design, plants, care, and maintenance. And speaking of walk and talk, I had a walk and talk this past week. And fantastic yard, really, I mean, topography changes, kind of has a river going through it during hard storms and things like that. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But uh, one thing these the people at, the, at this home, they do in the wintertime when things just slow down in the yard and things like that. The wife really takes care of all this outdoor stuff. But uh, they put jigsaw puzzles together, and they buy really high-quality jigsaw puzzles. And I don't know where they get them or anything else, but they usually you know, have some kind of relationship to something that they know or whatever they're interested in. And then they have them framed. And I'll tell you, I mean, some of these things from, a, you know, not that far away look like paintings. It was spectacular. So it shows you sometimes when I'm there for a walk and talk, I get to see some things that totally caught me by surprise. And this certainly me, caught me by surprise. But the tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Well, tip of the trial goes out to a couple garden 
gardens, you know, people's yards that I walk every morning. I got three different directions I go to or I go down. So a tip of the trial goes out to two doors down Charlie. He lives two doors down from us, from Tracy and I. And from the Canna uh, can Banana Farmer, he lives uh, up on Federer and Morgan Ford. And then there's a house that uh, his dog's name is Lucy, and he grows tomatoes. I swear his tomatoes are, wow, they're really huge already. The stems coming up out of the ground may be an inch in diameter. So also the tip of the trial goes out to all the fathers for Father's Day tomorrow. So, And also... The city employees, the mailmen, the landscape contractors, the mowers, all those kind of people that are out in the outdoors when it's hot like this. Woo. You know, I spent a couple years in the outdoors uh, working when I was at the botanical garden. It could get pretty brutal, but you just, you know, so a tip of the trial goes out to them. And then finally, the tip of the trial goes out to Jody Stockwell. She's a staff member here at uh, KMOX. Intercom.com, and uh, she grows plants. You know, behind her desk, one of her desks, she has a couple different desks, she has a window there. And so she grows like cactus and succulents and things like that. But she grows this, she has this spectacular Phalaenopsis orchid. And one of them had, she had two flower stalks coming out. And one of the stalks was so heavy due to the flowers that it bent. And what she did is she pushed it, you know, she pulled it back up and she used scotch tape to tape the flower stalk and it looks spectacular. So the tip of the trial goes out to Jody Stockwell of the staff here for being so smart on just not giving up on that flower stalk and taping it back up to hold it rigid. And then she has something else to help support it, too. But still, so tip, tip, <laughs> tip of the trial for many, many, many different kinds of people in many different circumstances. So it's amazing in the outdoors whenever you or indoors like Jody's stuff is her orchid is right here on the inside. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Miss any part of your favorite shows? Download them today and listen at your convenience. Go to KMOX.com and click on podcast in the menu. The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX and KMOX.com. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're headed out to St. Peter's and going into Jenny's yard. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. How are you? Okay. I love Saturday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I have some a couple of that my daughter put in for me uh, last week, and the flowers are just beautiful. <laughs> it's the hydrangea that grows very, very tall. Can you tell me what the name of that is? It's really, I mean, there are several that get pretty darn tall. These these are, well, she said they go, the stems grow about four feet tall. Well, there's some that are going to get much taller than that. Okay, all right. Well, what do I do as far as feeding? Uh, basically, hydrangeas want an acid-based fertilizer. So yes. as long as they're in flower, and then next year before, you know, I couldn't, I didn't get a chance to hear how long they've been in the ground. Which, they've just been in a week. Okay, so you want to vir- virtually feed them about once a month with the last feeding in September. Okay. And But make sure it's an acid-based fertilizer. And 
is that in a spray or is that a powder mix? You could get a powder mix and mix it in like a bucket of water and just pour it around on the root system. Okay, that sounds easy. Now, are these just, are they white flowered? They're white. Yeah, so, I mean, they may be forever blooms or, you know, some of the extended bloomers that bloom all, you know, all summer Uh long. Those flowers are huge. Yeah. (laughs) Really, really big. They're so pretty. And also there are some varieties like the PG hydrangea, which blooms in the spring only. And the oak leaf hydrangea is going to have a much bigger leaf. And rather than having a round flower cluster, they're going to have more of a, you know, inverted cone-shaped flower cluster. So there are several different kinds of uh, hydrangeas. Well, I know they have them in their yard, and they're just beautiful. Great. So, okay. Thanks for our show. Well, Appreciate thanks. it. Well, thanks for having me on your show. So anyway, let's go now to Anne-Marie in St. Charles. Hi, Anne-Marie. Hi, Mike. You know, I was sitting here thinking about that I look forward to you being on my show on Saturdays and that you work uh, pretty cheap, too, so I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, I have a question about uh, trimming back bushes in this hot weather. Um, this is like, these are not flowering plants or bushes. These are like the new growth that kind of has grown away from the main bushes. They, uh, they kind of just need a shave and a trim, um, just to kind of get them to be rounded again. Can I do that around this time with all this heat and that, and then maybe water them real well afterwards? Or what would you suggest? I would say no. I was, it's not the watering that's going to be the problem. It's going to be I sort of mentioned this in the last hour, that when you cut off the tips, regardless of how much they are, all those tips that have been now removed, you know, have been shading the leaves, even though those are older leaves that were below. Now, all of a sudden, these ones that were getting somewhat shaded are now fully exposed to the sun. So you could have some sunburn on, you know, now the outside perimeter of the shrub. I know in the past weeks you've always talked about that, how they can get, the plant can get sunburned underneath right. because that little growth is not now protected. Right. But these are like these little straggly things that come flying off the top of the bushes. Is that still able to go through individually and just cut them back? Yes, I would go down into the shrub as opposed to just cutting it off. You okay. know, and trying to make it, you know, trying to shape it so it's the same length as all the rest of them. Go down below. You know, let's say the outer core of the shrub's shape that you're trying to maintain and cut it off at that point as opposed to just cutting it off right at the exterior size or shape of what you want of the shrub. Mm -hmm. Then can I ask you one more question? A few weeks back we had our house power washed and in one corner where we have two bushes, I guess some of the um, solution got on some of the leaves and so the outer leaves have kind of like turned a little color now, like they're going to fall off. But on, inside the bush, it looks good. But these two bushes are pretty much in the shade. So would we be able to kind of trim that a little bit to get rid of some of those leaves that look like they got some of the solution on them from the power washing? You could certainly give it a try. I wouldn't necessarily go and prune them all at once. I'd mm-hmm. probably maybe cut on one of them. Maybe half the foliage off that you're, you know, that you're concerned with. Then wait for a week or so and see what kind of reaction your shrub has to, you know, as a result of this. Then if everything seems okay, then go ahead and do the, you know, finish the pruning on that one and then prune the other one. 
Oh, okay. All right. Well, I thank you. Those are my two questions. Great. Well, thanks. Yeah, I'm always, you know, kind of on the cusp of saying you're always better off to be a little bit more cautious and not to just get something done for the sake of getting it done. So thanks, Anne-Marie. And now let's go into Baldwin, and that's where Jerry lives. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Um, I'm kind of in a grumpy mood on Father's Day, so you can call me Scrooge instead of Jerry. (laughs) Okay, Um, Scrooge. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, my question is not how can I grow something. Like I said, I'm in a grumpy mood. I want to know how I can kill a couple of things. What I'm after killing is nutsedge and honeysuckle. Any ideas? Uh, there is actually a product by Bonai called Sedge Ender, and it specifically sedge goes Ender? after the nutsedge. Uh, sedge Ender, what is it? It's a, uh, let's say it's an herbicide that's, you know, Formulated to target for the nutsedge only. How do you apply it? It's a trigger sprayer. A sprayer? Yeah, you okay. can get it. You can get a concentrate and mix it up and you know and put it in your sprayer if you've got a pump sprayer. I don't know. If, I can't remember if they have like a hose end attachment type thing, but I have a trigger sprayer for it. But I will okay. tell you, you know, it's better off to get it as soon as it starts coming up. Because it's been up for, you know, probably five or six weeks now, and now it has a waxy cuticle. That's how the plants protect themselves from getting sunburned. I keep talking about plants getting sunburned. And so consequently, the herbicides become a little bit less effective. And also, when it's this hot, I would be very, very cautious about spraying any kind of herbicide on anything. All right. Would you wait until... I mean, just let it go all summer and wait till next spring? No, I wouldn't necessarily do that, but I would wait until we get a hopefully a break in this heat and then go ahead and you know try to at least suppress some of the new stuff that may be coming up because the older stuff is already there, but you may be able to help control that to a certain point. But there's still always going to be nutsedge is a nutty you know, kind of weed. So consequently, they're, I mean, they colonize. So that way the new growth... You, the herbicide, the nuts or sedge ender should be able to help control that. All right. Would you spray it when it's long or would you cut it before you spray it? I always like to sort of bruise things. So in other words, like either mow it or don't cut it down too close because you could damage the rest of your lawn. But Or stomp on it or something like that so the herbicide has a way to get quicker access inside the interior part of the foliage. Okay, and then the second one, how about the honeysuckle? I, it's been cut down, um, so now I've got honeysuckle. Some, I mean, this stuff's been around 20 years. It was immense. Up, It was wrapping around telephone lines. It's been cut down to, I mean, I've got some stumps that are at ground level. They might be 8 inches in diameter, and I know I can drill holes, and I know there's some stump killer. Right. But I've got new growth popping out of that. Um any ideas there? Probably, if you don't mind using Roundup, there's Roundup for killing woody plants, and just go out there and you know be careful. Don't spray it on something that you're not trying to kill. But uh, again, just you know, kind of bruise the leaves a little bit, and then put the Roundup right on to the honeysuckle foliage. Okay, I've got a lousy yard. I had a beautiful yard, and all of a sudden it's turned into honeysuckle and nutsedge. <laughs> So you're talking. You're not talking about the vine honeysuckle. You're talking about the shrub honeysuckle, correct? They were huge bushes. Okay. I don't know what that is. Well, the vines would be climbing. They'd be up into this thing. No, I've had it's climbing because it was all over the phone poles and just climbing all over them. 
So if that's you know if that's the case, you know if you got the vine as well as a shrub, then again just you know get some of this you know again Roundup for killing. It'll say poison ivy killer. It, yep. It's for woody plants, but uh, it'll kill pretty much anything like that. Okay, I will keep it away from my wife and dogs. <laughs> and the <laughs> plants great- that you like as well. All right, have a great day, and I certainly appreciate your help. If it doesn't work, I'll be back to you. All right, great. Well, thanks. Happy, happy Father's Day. Yeah, well, thank you, and thanks, Jerry. Or I shouldn't say Jerry, Scrooge. Anyway, yeah. let's go to Brian, and Brian is an Imperial. Hi, Brian. Hi. Um, I've, thanks for taking my call, first of all. Um, my question is with regards to my yard. I put down Empire Zoysia about five years ago and I went through a process of killing it with Roundup and then, you know, telling it under and putting down brand new sod. And I've had a perfect yard for about the past three years. And then all of a sudden I had one, which I think you pretty much answered with your last caller and the nut sage, but I've got nut sage coming up and then I've got another plant coming up and I don't know what it is. It has a really small stem, and it comes up, and it spreads out over the top of the grass and kind of weaves itself through, and it gets to be about 8, 10 inches in diameter. And I can pull these up out of the grass back to the original, and it seems like it's going out and taking root, and it's got very small leaves. And I'm not sure what it is or how to get rid of it, but it's coming up all over. Now, when you, with this plant that you're speaking of, if you would take one of the branches that are spreading out and break it in half, is there a milky sap? Yes. So this is called spurge, S-P-U-R-G-E, and you know it's a it's a really nasty. It almost looks like a doily, nasty weed. So you're just going to have to go after both these with a you know with a type of herbicide. But again, I keep saying herbicides, but when it's this hot, don't you know. Applications of herbicides is very iffy, so just understand. So you got the spurge, you can go to your know, Bear's Garden Shop or whatever and tell them that you have some spurge and see what kind of herbicides that they would recommend for control of the spurge. Okay. Um, in spring, when I started seeing these plants come up right. and some of the nut sedge coming up, I used a ortho product, which was nut sedge killer. And it killed my grass, too. <laughs> Whoa. So, so you would, would you recommend, recommend the bonide? Would yeah, bonide sedge ender, but, I mean, just with it, that's surprising because, I mean, I mean, Ortho's a, been a company that's been around for a long, you know, as long as Bonide. Bonide's been around since 26. I don't know when Ortho started, but they've been around for a long time, too. So I don't know if it was timing-wise you know, or whatever else, because that's kind of a rare circumstance is what you experienced. There was a about a two-foot patch in my yard where it, there was seemed to be a concentration. And I think, I, I well, I don't know for sure, but my son got reindeer food over Christmas, and he ended up spreading it all over the front yard. So I'm <laughs> guessing some of these weeds are coming from his reindeer food he got from school. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> but when this stuff started coming up, I, I sprayed that nut sedge killer on it, and it's just in that area that all the grass died. Yeah, there's, so, maybe there's something in that spot that's really, you know, it could be the sedge, you know, because, I mean, that's an herbicide specifically for that, you know, that weed. So it really shouldn't have, you know, had, you know, an impact on your lawn. So what happened? Maybe there's something else. Yeah, exactly. That's what I think. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. 
Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Join KMOX at Perita Farms this weekend for the Country Time Barbecue and Bluegrass and Brews Festival featuring the Kids Country Carnival. Enjoy live music, games for the kids, a special appearance by Billy the Bronco and Scarecrow, magic shows, bounce houses, food trucks, pony rides, and adoptable pets. This event runs from 9.30 a.m. till 3.30 p.m. each day. The event is pet-friendly, admission is free, no reservations necessary, and parking just $5. Get more details now at KMOX.com. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got about 20 or 25 minutes to go, so you can give us a call and we'll try to get you on air. J.D. lives in Highland, Illinois. Hi, J.D. Good morning, sir. Hi. Uh, I don't know if this is in your, in your wheelhouse or not. Um, I've got, uh, I had a, um, weeping willow tree. Um, and then about 15 yards from that, there was a, uh, Bradford pear, another, I don't know, 20, 25 yards from that. There was another Bradford pear. The weeping willow started to die. Um, I lost like half of it on in a year and then the other half the following year. And then one of the uh, Bradford pears all of a sudden just um, died, and it, it became really brittle. And then the, the Bradford pear that was in between the two, um, two years ago, it started to, to bud, but then that was it. Like, there was no more energy in it to, to finish budding, and it and it died. Um, there is an apple tree in the in the same vicinity that seems fine and an oak tree that seems to be okay. Uh, any, any idea what would, I, I want to replant trees, but I'd, it, does it sound like the, the soil's deteriorating or do you have any ideas or? Well, it's kind of an interesting combination. Usually willow trees are put in a spot that's low and wet. Correct. So was that why you put the willow tree in that location? The the willow tree was actually there when I when I purchased the property, okay. and and where it where it sat is is and or was and still is um, low and and consistently damp, where the the uh, Bradfords are are up uh, another I don't know foot and a half or so higher, which doesn't hold water where the willow tree did. Right. So probably what happened is how. The willow tree may have been just old, and the Bradford pears may have just been old as well. The well, the one the one Bradford pear was pretty small. Okay, um, and then I mean because the other one lasted a couple years and and got and is twice the size of the the littler one that died. Um, so I, I I wouldn't think that was it, but I, again, it, probably thirty yards from all of them. I had put in some uh, new dirt that I had got uh, from uh, oh the side of a, a uh, pond, uh, and I didn't know if maybe something was in that soil that might have filtered through. And I, I just I have no idea. I'm afraid to put any any more trees in there, though. Yeah, I w- uh, you know to be honest with you, uh, it's very difficult to know what killed these individual trees. You know, again. Sure. But I wouldn't necessarily be concerned if you've got things that are close by that are, you know, that are doing okay. The, you know, it's just a you know a circumstance. 
these trees, whether they were young or old or anything else, with the fluctuations in the weather patterns, that can have a huge impact. And I know it has had a huge impact on all kinds of different plants, whether it be trees, whether it be ground covers or anything else in this past year, and a lot of shrubs as well. So my thinking is I wouldn't be overly concerned. I don't think you could contaminate the soil you know, with bringing in other soil. I wouldn't necessarily want to be planting in soil that was from the side of a pond because of the, you know, the type of soil it is. It's probably there because it you know, doesn't let a whole lot of water out. You know. sure. Sure. So, you know, yeah. But I think you should be fine. Just dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% is deep. So, in other words, the top of the root ball will be above the surrounding ground. And just, uh, I, again, I would, I would go ahead and go for it if you want some trees in those locations. I wouldn't go back yeah. with a Bradford pear. I would choose something else. Because, sure, sure. Copy that. Copy and, that. Uh, and the willow is the same thing. If you want, if you got a low wet spot and the willow tree died, there's a tree called black, black gum, G-U-M. It's not a sweet gum tree that likes wet soils, very shiny foliage, great fall color. I would consider something like that for that low wet spot. Done for. Let's copy that. Um, the only other question I had is I, I heard you mention a couple times not to spray a, a herbicide when it's this hot. Right. Well, why? Because it can... But, just the, the chemical aspects of it can burn the foliage on the plant material. It won't necessarily kill, but it can burn. Okay. All right. Uh, that, that was it. I, was just, I didn't know who to ask about the trees, and I heard the station, so I, I gave it a shot. I appreciate all your time and efforts. Well, sure. Thank you. And uh, now let's go to Judy in St. Louis. Hi, Judy. Hi, Mike. My question is, uh, I know everybody says to water your lawn in the morning, but I'm wondering with all this heat, is it better or maybe advantageous to water at night so the water goes down to the roots and maybe makes it a little bit better for the grass and the sun? No. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, no. You know, if you water correctly, the water is going to penetrate down into the root system. If you water at night, you've got a circumstance, and especially if you have a bluegrass lawn or a fescue lawn or even a zoysia lawn, it doesn't really matter. If you go outside at night, a lot of times, even if the temperature has cooled down a little bit from the daytime, the humidity is hugely, I I can't even breathe. It's like you're walking underwater. That's a perfect circumstance for fungus growth. So that's the disadvantage of watering at night. I know my grandmother always watered at night for kind of what you're talking about. Less evaporation, less this, less that. But if you water in the morning and you water correctly for periods of time and only water like twice a week, the water should penetrate deep. And like we, I don't know what, you know, what part of St. Louis you live in, but on Wednesday we had a storm that came up from nowhere and poured for about an hour. Then ideally that would be the ground is softened as a result of that you know, to go ahead and water the next day if you possibly could. And so that way the ground's soft, so the water's going to be penetrating deeper and deeper. I water twice a week. I water every, you know, pretty much every Wednesday now that the heat of the summertime is here, and then every Saturday. But uh, sometimes I skip them because of, for whatever reason. But it's always, you know, as early in the day as I possibly can. Does overwatering have something to do with these mushrooms that are popping up in our yard? No, not necessarily. Mushrooms are growing off something dead, like a dead tree root system, or you haven't dethatched your lawn or things like that. But the moisture from watering has nothing to do with mushroom growth. Okay. They have to grow off something. They can't just grow off water. 
I see. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate your help. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Get ready for the Cards and Cubs tonight. Amron Total Access 620, first pitch 715. Following the game, it's live with Mike Claiborne and special guest Brian Jordan. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, again, a reminder that next Saturday I'm going to be broadcasting from World Outdoor Emporium in Winsville. It's all part of the Ponderama. Ponderama is a thing that's put on by the St. Louis Water Garden Society. And what it is is they, on the Illinois side of the river and the Missouri side of the river, have people that are involved retail-wise or homeowners with water gardens. So it's a great, you know, great circumstance. I think Ponderama's... That's when it is. It's the 23rd. So consequently, you can come out. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to buy a ticket to come to the World Outdoor Emporium by any means. But just come out. They've got a great supply of different kinds of plant material. Very unique place. Very unique setting. Also, later on today at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Andy Smith and Bob Richards, the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby, 1 o'clock, Rick Edelman Show, 3 o'clock, The Business of Family Business, and 4 o'clock, Health Matters by SSM Health with Fred Bottomar. So all kinds of great stuff coming up. Shirley, how are you today? I'm fine, Mike. I'm looking for a miracle worker, and I want instant results. Ha, ha, ha. And thank you. Like everyone else, I thoroughly enjoy your show and your uh, knowledge. I have a euonymus bush that is as tall as my house. It, has, it, it doesn't climb on the trellis, but a trellis supports it. For years, it was absolutely beautiful. A few years ago, it started getting scale, those little white bugs, and I had it professionally sprayed uh, two or three years, and I I see no evidence of scale. However, for the last uh, couple of years, it's been dying, little branches at a time in the leaves, and I cut that out, which means now this tall euonymus bush is full of holes. Um, Is there any way that I'm going to be able to save it? Do you have some good suggestions? Uh, basically, is there? A, when's the next full moon? You could dance under the full moon and try that. But uh, no, I'll do that. <laughs> In reality, there's not too much. It sounds like it's been fairly old, and so it's prob- yeah, it's probably thirty-five years old. Right. Now. So you don't have probably a refrigerator, or a couch, or a car, or not too many things clothes-wise that are that old. And, yeah, certain plant material can go on and on and on, but this particular plant, it had, you know, it suffered that thing with a scale. It's recovered from that, but individual branches, you know, move, you know, dying off like this to me sort of indicates that the plant's just kind of exhausted. I don't know, are, are, do you fertilize at all? Uh, yes, I started this year with a, a three-month granular fertilizer, and then every week or two I pour some uh, miracle Grow, where you mix up in water on it. Also, with the euonymus, you want to make sure that you get a fertilizer that has iron and sulfur, because that will help it. I'm assuming this is an evergreen-type euonymus, correct? It, yes, it is. Okay, so you need to get any kind of broadleaf evergreen like this, you need to get some iron and sulfur on it. So you can go to your favorite garden center and just ask them from, for some ferrous or iron sulfate and follow the directions and put that on the soil. That may help it as well. All right. Uh, 
I have started too. About every couple three weeks, I'll turn the hose on the pressure, you know, just through a nozzle, and, right. and try to knock off some of the dead leaves. Whatever. I don't know if that helps or hurts. Well, that's you know that helps from an aesthetic standpoint. It doesn't really, you know. Sometimes you can. You're not going to bruise it probably with a hose, but you know, back off. You know, don't water it too much. Don't do too much beyond what you've normally done to it. But just make sure you get the soil kind of going in the right direction. All right. Well, I'll get that uh, fertilizer you mentioned and give that a try. Yeah, it's a soil amendment. It doesn't have any nutrients to it, but you can get also a fertilizer, you know, from, you know, like a miracle Grow type thing for acid-loving plants if you want to do the fertilizing and the amendments at the same time. Okay. All right. So you're saying euonymus is acid-loving? Yes. Anything that stays evergreen through the wintertime, for the most part, likes acid, you know, acid soil. And in reality, almost every plant, except for a very few, clematis, lilac, are few that don't. They like an acidic soil where the soil pH is 6 to 6.5, 7 being neutral, and then above 7 is you know, basically alkaline. So even your lawn likes the soil to be acidic. We always thought for years people keep saying, you know, put lime on. That's not what you really want to do unless you have a very acidic soil. Then you may put lime on. But for the most part, that's not what we really have here. Okay. All right. Well, I'll give it a try and and do a lot of praying. (laughs) (laughs) And dancing under the full moon. (laughs) Oh, yes. I'll I'll be sure and do that. Right. Thank you so much, Mike. Sure. Let's go now to Dave in Staunton, Illinois. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Good. I called you uh, early March and had said I'd sprouted some cannas from seeds, and my question was if you thought they were going to bloom. Okay. And they have. They're blooming already? They are just starting to bloom now. Wow. I, I talked to your fella when I called in, I wanted to, I want to send you some pictures. So I got your, uh, Miller designs address off the phone. So I'll, I'll send you some pictures on that and let you see. Wow. Great. Cause I've got my cannas are probably like, Oh, let's see any place between three and five feet high or close to five feet. And I don't even have any flower buds forming yet at all. On them, and these are tubers that I've had for several years. Yes, so I'll I'll dig these up this fall and try them again next year. But All right. Some, yep. That sounds yep. fantastic. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's surprising that they'd be flowering this early, but it shows you, you know, normally it's going to be a little bit later in a technically the true summertime rather than the end of spring. But that the weather has really made things really totally nuts. So thanks, yes. Dave. And now let's go to Fenton, and that's where Susan lives. Hi, Susan. Hi. Good to talk to you. Hey, I was given a gardenia tree for Mother's Day, and it produced about two dozen buds. But before they bloom, they bend over and fall off. Right. What's, what's the matter with it? Basically, gardenias really are very, very difficult to have success with. They do very well in greenhouses and, you know, certain circumstances. And there are a few people over the years that I've talked to or I've been to their homes that have had good luck with them. But, you know, to get them to bloom is really tough because 
it you know it strains the plants extremely. The buds are set. You think, well, what's you know why don't they just push open? But they just they don't have you know things are just not right for them. That's why they're not, and they probably will never flower for you. To be honest. Oh, okay. So there's no no kind of food or chemical that I should try to force feed them. Yeah, if if the foliage looks good, it's dark green, it's still shiny, it looks fine. Then that would be the indicator, as opposed to flowers falling off, that uh, you may need to do some fertilizing. Yes, you're going to have to do some fertilizing. But that's not necessarily going to make it so the buds, if they do form any more flower buds, are actually going to be functional and open up and give you that great fragrance. All right. Okay. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you for, uh, <laughs> thank you for taking my call. I sure. appreciate it. Yeah, it's okay. really, I mean, there's certain things I wish they would sort of, you know, they put the tags there. They should say, in this region, under these circumstances, normal home, Blah, blah, blah. I'm assuming your gardenia, like I said, if the foliage looks good, it's not dropping a whole lot of leaves or anything else, then it's just, a, you know, the fact that the gardenias just don't like it here all that much. So, sorry, Susan. And I guess that's probably going to be our last call of the day. Here's some more information I was talking about. This is from the University of Missouri Research Newsletter. The ideal pH, so in other words, a soil pH. So in other words, if it should be vinegar-like or salty-like. For most plant material, is 6.0 to 6.5. So in other words, acidic. So if you get a soil test done and you find out your soil is not within that range, whether you're growing lawn, whether you're growing deciduous type shrubs, where you're, and definitely if you're growing evergreen type things, and certainly, you know, not that many people grow blueberries, but blueberries need a pH of about 5.0, which is super acidic. But that's one of the things you need to understand that putting lime down is not to the advantage of any kind of plant material except only a few. Clematis being one and lilac being another one. And there's some other ones, obviously. In a recent study, this is about spiders. Spiders consume four, 400 to 800 million metric tons of prey per year. That's And 90% of that stuff is insects. A lot of them are problematic insects too. So when you see spiders on your plants and you know it's not spider mites, which are problematic to your plant material, then you got to guess what? Leave the spiders alone. They can be scary and everything else. And adding wood ashes to your landscape doesn't help soil structure whatsoever. Chemically, ashes do have calcium, phosphorus, and potassium. But before you spread these on your soil, make sure that you get a soil test done. And consequently, the soil test says that you are lacking calcium, phosphorus, and potassium. Because abundant levels of calcium, phosphorus, and potassium can be really problematic from a dehydration circumstance for the plant root system. So just remember that. And I'm going to say water, 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 water in the morning. Don't water at night because the fungus problems can be, I mean, astronomical. It can just catch you totally by surprise. And you'll think, well, everything was kind of all right. And then I started watering. And now I'm starting to get major patches of lawn dying off. Now, how do you know if it is fungus? Well, the area that's green and the area that's brown, just look at that margin right there and look at the blades that are still green and see if you see some fuzzy stuff on the grass blades. That's a good way to see if you have lawn fungus. So just 
Be cool, be calm, and don't don't overdo it. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.